0: Ah, ah. Can, I, can I preach against my better judgment I'm going to let you go and be seated some of y'all are like what? we've been standing up a long time my legs are killing me y'all stand up a long time in this church we do, we do but can you imagine with me for a moment the sounds of that very first resurrection We're going to look at those today because John's gospel, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Some of you are real excited about God's word. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Let's get it right. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. John's gospel does some things for us. I'm going to read part of this narrative, and then I'm going to pause and offer a little commentary to our conversation to give you some context but essentially what John's gospel does is he highlights for us the very first characters in the first resurrection there was a lot of people running around just running to the tomb with really mourning the death of Jesus but yet holding out hope that the resurrection is true and so much uncertainty swirling in the air because they had spent three and a half years with Jesus three and a half years Jesus had done everything for them three and a half years Jesus had spoken into their lives he had provided for them he had fed them he had done miracles amongst them he had changed their lives and now all of a sudden Jesus is gone he's crucified on on Friday and then on Sunday the tomb is empty and what's going there's just so much uncertainty that is happening But really, in all honesty, that is what Easter is about. It's having confidence in who God is in the midst of uncertainty. Hello, I'm gonna need some help preaching today. You see, certainty is knowing how something happens, but confidence is knowing who makes that something happen. Where is your confidence? In fact, the premise of today's message is this. Let me just give it to you, it's this. Where your confidence comes from determines how you react to uncertainty. Grab that. Let that resonate in your spirit. Let it bounce around in your cranial cavity. Where your confidence comes from determines how you react to uncertainty. Because if your confidence is in anything other than God, when you reach a place that you don't understand life, your faith is going to be gone. You see, if your confidence is in your own ability, I don't care how cool you are, you'll get to a place where your coolness will not help you. What is going to happen at that moment in time, you're going to lose your confidence, your faith is going to run away. You see, if your confidence is in your money, your money might get funny and all of a sudden you have no confidence. If your confidence is in your 401K, if it's in your career, if it's in something other than God, there will be a moment in your life where uncertainty will just swirl all around you. You will lose your confidence. That's why your confidence must be in God. Can I show you something? Let's read the narrative together. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let me read it to you. I'm just going to read right through it. Here it goes in verse 1 of chapter 20. Here's John's gospel early on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb and she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. I I love John's humility. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. That's John. He's talking about himself, by the way. (laughs) The one that Jesus loved. He loved me most. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, again, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Hmm. He bent over and he looked in, the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around the the, the head of Jesus. And the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from from the dead. Now, Understand something. We read this narrative in retrospect. We've had 2,000 years, a narrative that was captured for us that that tells us how this all unfolded. But you need to understand that while it was unfolding, John was... was was kind of lost in what was happening. Peter was kind of lost in what was happening. The disciples were kind of lost in what was happening. There was so much uncertainty. We read it now with confidence because it's 2,000 years removed from the event that unfolded. What we know is that Jesus was born of a virgin. We know he lived a blameless life for 33 and a half years. We know that he accomplished over 300 prophecies in his life. He fulfilled 300 prophecies. We know that he was charged for the crime of love. He was crucified and he was placed in a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't be there long. Why? Because he would get out on the third day so he only needed it for the weekend and then it would go back to the rightful owner because on the third day he overcame death, hell, and the grave and he walked out the tombs was open and therefore there was victory. You see, here's what I need you to understand today. Something that we forget about the resurrection is that The resurrection was not just an event in time that took place 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is a state of mind for Christ followers. The resurrection is a state of mind that Jesus wants us to live in. He wants us to live in the power of the resurrection because he overcame things in life so that you would understand that you have the ability to overcome. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, the resurrection is not just one moment in time from 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is a state of mind that we should live in every day. I'm not talking about a New York state of mind. I'm not talking about a fear state of mind. I'm not talking about a worry state of mind. I'm not talking about a lax state of mind. I'm not talking about a broken state of mind. I'm not talking about a depressed state of mind. I'm talking about a resurrected state of mind because Jesus overcame. There's sickness, Jesus overcame. There's worry, Jesus overcame. There's doubt, Jesus overcame. When you were down and out, the love of God lifted you out. Has anybody ever experienced the power of the resurrection? Y'all going to have me preach my guts out and not help me. Essentially, at the simplest form, the resurrection, well, really the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, Joe, was really just to expose to us the goodness of God. Can I show you something else? Listen, let me do some work. Let me pause right here. And let me say this. I want to give you the title of today's message. When you look at this narrative of Scripture, there's just so much running around. James, there are... Mary, she's going to the tomb at first light and she sees that Jesus is not there. She turns around and she runs to Peter and John and the other disciples. And then Peter and John get word that Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. And then Peter and John take off running. And verses 3 and 4 give us our title. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says this, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. Hold on a second, both were running, both were running, both were running. Look at your neighbor and give them the title of today's message, Run to the Resurrection. Look at somebody else and say, Run to the Resurrection. Look at somebody else and say, Run to the Resurrection. Online in the chat say, Run to the Resurrection. Can I tell you why you need to run to the Resurrection? Because we're all running somewhere. That's what life is. It seems to be a race. We're all running somewhere. We're running here because we need to get this done. We're running here because we didn't get that done. We're running over here because we need to do this. We're running here because of this. We're running there because of that issue. We're running over here because of this problem. We're running. We're running. We're running from our past only to run into it in our present. We're running from insecurity only to end up at the tomb of emptiness. We're running the race of comparison. We're running the race of envy. We're running the race of judgment. Can I get on my soapbox for just a minute? It's Easter. Some of us are running a race when it comes to our social media we 're just running a race, running a race we 're trying to see what everybody else has, and when we see what everybody else has, we want what everybody else has so we 're living and trying to keep up with the Joneses rather than living for God and so because we don 't have what they have, we want to run the race harder, and when we can 't run the race harder because our job will not allow us to do what they 're doing we 're so consumed with what they have, we miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives and then the next thing you know we 're worn out we 're tired we 're burdened we 're complaining we 're dejected we don 't understand it that 's the road that 's the characteristics that seem to be in most of our lives many times and the very characteristics that you are experiencing in life is a direct result of the road that you chose to run down hello did you get that (laughs) the very characteristics that many of us experience. We're tired, we're weary, we're worn out, we're insecure, we're this, we're that. It, it's the road that we chose to run down. We're running to something that causes us to be empty rather than running to the empty tomb. Ooh, this is good. Thanks, Catherine. We're, we're, we're running to something that sucks the life out of us rather than the Lord who wants to give us life and have that life more abundantly. And then we begin to complain about where we're at and what's going on in our lives. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that many times we set ourselves up for the loss because we choose to run a road that doesn't lead to the resurrection rather than running on the road that does lead to the resurrection. I need you to grab that in your spirit. I'm not talking about going to a physical place. I'm talking about your spirit living in the resurrection. Then what happens is as you're going through life and life becomes so difficult and uncertainty happens, you take your focus off of God and you place your focus on the uncertainty in life. You take your focus off of the goodness of God. I've been on this goodness of God kick for the last two or three weeks because I think we can go through life and we can go through seasons like we have over the last 365 days and all of the uncertainty will cause us to question our faith. We'll forget how good God is, and we'll take our focus off of the goodness of God, and we'll place our focus on uncertainty, and uncertainty will only lead us to emptiness. In fact, let me show you something. Verse 9, you need to see this because this jumped off the page at me. Verse 9 says this. It says, they still did not understand. They. Remember this, John is writing this story a few years later, and when he says they, he's not just talking about himself and Peter, he's talking about the cluster of disciples. He's even talking about the 500 people who followed Christ earnestly. They did not understand. In other words, they had been with Jesus for three and a half years. For three and a half years, Jesus spoke into their life. For three and a half years, Jesus was present. For three and a half years, but yet for three and a half years, he also told them of this death and this resurrection. He had pointed this out. He had even showed them the example. He illustrated it when he called into the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. When he said to Martha and Mary, I'm the resurrection and the life. They knew this. They had heard Jesus talk about this, but at this moment, it just seemed like that was just... Unbelievable, they didn't understand it. It was just so much uncertainty. They heard it, but didn't understand it. We can hear the word of God over and over and over and over, but live in such a way that it looks like we don't understand it. Mm. We can hear about the goodness of God over and over and over and over. But yet live in such a way that it looks non-existent in in our lives hello and so here peter and john are somewhat exhausted by the events of the weekend some of you are exhausted by the events of life and so you you take your focus off of how good god is and you place your focus on what seems to be wrong in your life and And it just begins to wear you out. In fact, I talk to people all the time and they'll say, man, I'm just going through this season that that I just can't find much to be grateful for, much to be thankful for. Can I tell you something? If you find yourself in a season that you just don't feel like there's much to be grateful for or thankful for in your life, you need to pause long enough to do an inventory because you haven't done an inventory in so long that you've forgotten all that God has done in your life. And what God has done in your life is substantial. I mean, I think about this in context to Peter's life because obviously he's in this story. And there were times in Peter's life where Peter was like on top of the world with his faith, but then other times, uncertainty, just the littlest of thing could get him off course and off track. I mean, there was a time when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter saw Jesus walking on the water and he said, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus spoke one word there and he said, come. Peter jumps out of the boat and begins to walk on water, but the Bible tells us that he sees the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. In other words, he has been walking on a word that the Lord gave to him, but now he's given up on that word because all he can see is the uncertainty of the wind and the waves. He was walking on the power of a word that God spoke into his life, but now all he can see is what he cannot do. He was walking towards a Savior who would continue to rescue him, but he forgot who he was walking to because all he could see was what he could not do. Y'all are not grabbing this. <laughs> he was walking on water, but he forgot the power and, and, and the authority of Jesus because he didn't think he could overcome what was coming against him. You see, he was so focused on what he was incapable of doing that he lost focus of what Jesus was capable of. And so I think about another situation, Peter. Jesus told Peter, he said, hey, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you know me. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, no, dude, I'm not going to deny knowing you. It's a ride or die situation with us, brother. We're homies. It's just that simple. Uh Ah, no, Jesus, I'll never do that. And then before the rooster crowed at the crucifixion, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And you know, we give Peter such a hard time over that. We give Peter a hard time over verse 9. But the truth is, verse 9 is really our faith a lot of times, Richie. We don't understand. We don't understand. That's where our faith is at. Can I tell you something? You will never know what God is capable of doing in your life if you continue to stop with what you are incapable of. Mm. somebody will get that on the way home (laughs) you you will never know what God is capable of doing in your life if you continue to stop with what you're incapable of you will never know the strength of God in your life if you continue to focus on your weaknesses I got a lot of one-liners we can do this all day And over the last 365 days, COVID and all of the other craziness of culture has, there's uncertainty. There is uncertainty. There's uncertainty corporately as as a nation. There's uncertainty individually in each one of your lives. There's just uncertainty. Do you want to know what the greatest challenge in your faith is? How many of you want to know what the greatest challenge in your faith is? You want to know? Raise your hand if you want to know. All right. Two-thirds of you want to know, so I'm going to stick with you two-thirds. The greatest challenge of your faith is not uncertainty. Some pastors will tell you that. That's not the greatest challenge of your faith. The greatest challenge of your faith is remembering how good God is in your uncertainty. That's the greatest challenge. Because the enemy uses the uncertainty to rob you of your faith, to rob you of your position in Christ, to rob you of what God told you. He uses the uncertainty in your life and he makes you think that you're all alone even though God has shown up for you several times in the past, thousands of times before. When you get into that one moment, you forget what he's done before because what you're going through right now seems to be so much greater than what it was before. But the truth be known, if you really do an inventory of your life, what you went through before is a lot worse than what you're going through now. You've just forgotten that God has been with you all the time. We cannot disconnect from the goodness of God. We cannot discount the goodness of God in our lives because the goodness of God in our lives is what changes our outlook. When we focus on how good God is, even in the trials of life, it will cause you to be able to walk through those trials knowing that God is for you and that he's with you. Listen, just a side note. John and, John and Peter didn't understand this. They could not wrap their brains around this. This, this thing was confusing to them And the reason why it was confusing to them is because Jesus had been teaching them for three and a half years that this day was coming. But in their minds, they had envisioned this day happening in a certain way. And when it didn't happen in the way that they were thinking it would or should happen, they were confused. How many of you know we're really good with telling God how we want him to show up? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? God gives you a word and all of a sudden you just go ahead and envision how that word is going to come to pass. You've written out the story and you're like, all right, God, just put your stamp of approval on this. But it didn't look like they thought, even though they had heard that this was going to happen for three and a half years, it did not look like they thought it would look. Can you hold on to what God told you, even when it does not look like you expected it to look? Can you? Can you hold on to what God spoke over your life, even though your life is not going in the direction of the word that he spoke? Because can I tell you something, victory in your life, Raven, may not look the way you thought it was going to look. Victory in your life may not look, and you may not experience it the way you thought you were going to experience it. Breakthrough in your life, God may use somebody to bring breakthrough in your life that you never thought, dreamed, or imagined. The relational difficulty that's in your life, God may restore that relationship in a way that you never thought that he would restore that relationship. You see, we're so busy going through life wanting God to drop crumbs, you know, for us so that we can follow the blessing, when in reality what we really want to do is we want God to kind of follow along with us and, and okay, God, we want you to stamp your approval on this because this is what we want to do. When are we going to stop giving our personal preference to God and start living the life that God has called us to live? When are we going to stop looking at God like he's Santa Claus and start chasing after God because he gave us Jesus, who is our redeemed Savior, who's the resurrected King, who's the peace, the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. I forgot where I was at. Oh. So Peter and John don't fully understand. Mary comes to Peter and John and says, the Christ is gone. His body's not there. The tomb is empty. So Peter and John take off running. We know that John gets there first. When John gets there, he doesn't go in. He stops outside the tomb and he kind of leans in and he sees this arrangement of the burial cloths. He sees that there. He kind of looks a little deeper and he doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't see his body. He doesn't see anything. And just as he's turning around to say to Peter, he's gone, he's gone, Peter blows right by. Peter's inside the tomb. Peter sees the shroud of Turin. Peter sees the the linens there. Peter doesn't understand. Many historians and theologians, and this is just a side note, I'm giving you this for free. In fact, one of the gospels records it this way, that Mary didn't just go to Peter and John and tell them about the tomb being empty. She went to a group of disciples, but only Peter and John ran to the empty tomb. The other disciples had something better to do. I don't know. Maybe they were going to a buffet. Maybe there was a movie. I don't know. Something was up. Maybe they were talking about, man, that girl's crazy, man. You know, she's crazy. Jesus had to cast seven demons out of that girl. She's crazy. I mean, she don't know what she's talking about. I I don't know. What I do know is only two disciples experienced the empty tomb. What I am trying to say to you, if, if you want to experience the power of Jesus in your life, you've got to run towards Jesus. You've got to run towards Jesus. The Bible says if you'll draw close unto God, he will draw close unto you. Did you hear me? He sa- it says this. It says if you will draw close unto God, he will draw close unto you. Who draws first? We do. If you draw close unto God, he will draw close unto you. Just think about the story of Moses. Moses is out in the, in the desert tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. He had been out there for 40 years telling himself that he's worthless. He's worthless. And then 40 years in the desert, he sees a bush that is on fire, but yet it is not consumed. And the Bible says he's so intrigued by it that he turns and he begins to walk towards this bush. When he walks towards the bush, the voice of the Lord speaks. He drew close unto God and God drew close unto him. Why did John not go into the tomb? I don't don't know. Initially, he didn't go into the tomb. Why? Maybe it was because of this reverence for The burial grounds, the Jewish culture had great reverence for these tombs, and maybe that's what it was. But what I do know is that Peter went in. Peter went in, and he's looking around. He's surveying like he's a CSI agent. You know, he's just trying to figure this all out. I mean, the forensics don't match up. John, what's going on? And he probably sat down on the place that the body of Jesus had been lying at one point in time, and he's saying to, 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 to John, I don't understand this, John. His voice is echoing off the inside of the tomb. He says, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to to me. This is not what I thought it it, it would be. Many times in life when we are blown away by something that we didn't think was going to happen the way that it happened, the reason for that is because it didn't happen the way that we wanted it to happen or the way that we thought it should happen. And because it didn't happen the way that we thought it should happen, we're confused by it. I, I, I need to, this to really resonate with your spirit. I, when things happen in such a way that we weren't necessarily projecting to happen, we, we have this confusion. We have this personal preference thing that we want God to meet our needs. We want God to do all of those things, but we want him to do them the way that we want him to do. Listen, can I ask you a question? Why are we so arrogant in our faith that we think we're supposed to understand everything God does? Why are we so arrogant in our faith that we think we can do it better than God? Why? Why are we so arrogant in our faith that we think we're supposed to understand every single thing God does when his word tells us, Richie, that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so are his ways. The Bible goes on to say, just as the rain does not return to heaven, so is his word. Listen, just as the rain does not return to heaven without watering the earth, so is his word. It will not return void. It will accomplish the very purpose for which it was sent. In other words, grab hold of this. The goal of God's word is not that you will have understanding. The goal of God's word is that while you have do not have an understanding, you will have a trust in him. Think about that with me for a moment. The goal of God's word is not that you will understand every single thing. He tells you that you will not understand everything. The goal of God's word is that you will trust in him when you do not have understanding. So again, Peter and John are there. Verse 8, put verse 8 up for me. Verse 8 says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first He also went in and he said, he saw and believed. Hold on a second. He saw and believed the humility of John. I'm faster than Peter and I believed before Peter. (laughs) And Jesus loves me most. (laughs) But I love this. It says he saw and he believed. I have to think that John's faith had some influence on Peter because you can't hang out with someone who has great faith without their faith influencing your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Even if it's someone that you never expected and they spoke into your life and the words that they spoke into your life caused you to have a relationship with Christ in such a way that you would have never had a relationship with Christ if it were not for the person who spoke into your life. What blows me away, think about this, is that John John gets to the tomb first doesn't go in, and he believes. Peter gets there, goes in, but he doesn't believe. But we know that John had to have influence on Peter's faith because all you have to do is follow Peter's faith for the next 40 days. And about 40 plus days later, you'll see in, 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 in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and John are walking to the temple at the time of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And there's this dude who's been lame his whole life and he's shouting out alms for the poor. And Peter and John look at one another and then they walk up to him and they say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I'll give to you freely. And that's the name of Jesus. Get up and walk so something happened but at the moment todd peter's sitting in the tomb and he doesn't understand so much uncertainty he doesn't understand it even though he's been with jesus for three and a half years at this moment he's forgotten everything that jesus has done everything that jesus has said because in the moment his life the uncertainty seems to be so overwhelming Is that not us? God can do something incredible in your life in 2019 and in 2020, you just need something from God. But yet, you think he can't show up the way that he did before. Now, this moment, Peter is just, he's at a low. In fact, let me show you something. Look in verse, look in verse 10. I want you to see this. Verse 10 says this. It says, then... The disciples went back to where they were staying. They Just walk out of the tomb and they start walking back to wherever they were. But there's something strange here. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. Can I show you this? I'm going to anyway. Verse 11 says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now, now, hang on for a second. Peter and John come out of the tomb. Now, who told Peter and John that the tomb was empty? Mary. Mary went to the tomb. She found out that Jesus was not there. She went back and told the disciples, and then she, she runs to the disciples. Then she runs back with the disciples. to the. This is the second time Mary's been there. Peter and John. John tells us everything in his gospel. He's so articulate. He just lets us know everything that happens. But he does not mention Mary and Peter and himself having any conversation once they came out of the tomb. It just says that they walked home. They walked right by Mary. But Mary's still standing there. Why is Mary standing there? Because Mary went back to the last place she saw Jesus. You're not getting it when you are going through all hell on earth and you can't figure things out, you need to go back to that place. You need to run back to that resurrection. You need to go back to that healing. You need to go back to that breakthrough. You need to go back to that time that Jesus showed up when you didn't know how to figure things out and he made a way because only he could make a way. You need to go back to that place. Instead of running to a place that sucks the life out of you, run to the resurrection because it will empower you. I'm going to, thank you. Amen. Let me read the rest of this as everybody's getting in place. Let me read the rest of this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close in, in a minute and a half. Don't anybody look at your watch. It says, she leaned into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and she did not realize that it was Jesus. Oh my Lord, have mercy. Grab that for a minute. How many times has Jesus been there providing for us but yet we don't even recognize it because we're so focused on what seems to be missing that we miss the truth that he's with us Mm, that'll preach goes on to say he asked her woman why are you crying who is it that you are looking for thinking he was the gardener I just think that's funny sir if you have carried him away then tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him Jesus said to her, "Mary." She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, "Rabbi, teacher, teacher." He said, "Mary, Mary." At that moment, when her eyes. Looked into the eyes of Jesus, she knew it was him. Why would Jesus reveal himself to Mary before anyone else? When Mary, she was so dysfunctional, he had cast seven demons out of her early in his ministry. Why would he reveal himself to Mary before anyone else? Don't you, aren't you, I should say, so thankful that God, Jesus Christ himself, would reveal himself to a dysfunctional person before he revealed himself to anyone else? Doesn't that make you feel good about who you are? I don't know about, maybe you've got a lot of angels. Maybe there are a bunch of angels in this place and and you can polish your halo, but for the most of us, we've got some dysfunction in our lives. There's some brokenness in our lives and that's what Jesus is all about. You see, Jesus wants to heal you right where you are, not judge you right where you are, but heal you right where you are because he has something in store for you. Listen, I don't know who this is for, but some of you are living a label that someone else has placed upon you and they've called you broken because you had seven demons and they've called you dismissed But yet Jesus is running after you because he's the only one that can declare your life. He's the only one that can distinguish your life. He's the only one that can give you the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the only one that can navigate you through life the way that he is. So stop allowing someone else who did not bring you into this world like God did, who did not die for you, who did not believe, who did not give their life for you. to tell you who you are when only god can do that stand up just stand up just most of you are standing anyway let me you're going to be standing as soon as you hear this so why would he go to mary why would he go listen why would he go to mary first can i tell you why he would go to mary first he went to mary first because mary truly believed in his death what do i mean by that on friday mary was at the scene she was there when they placed the body of jesus in the tomb She was there when they took the stone, and they rolled the stone into place, and they sealed the tomb. Now she's come back two times on the first resurrection morning, and the same stone that had been rolled into place on Friday has now been rolled back out of place on Sunday. And she realizes that Jesus is standing right there. So what did Mary do? Two times that morning she ran to the resurrection. Two times that morning she ran to the hope. Two times that morning she ran to breakthrough. Two times that morning she ran to forgiveness. Two. that morning she ran to power. She ran to authority. She ran to salvation. Good God Almighty. Somebody, you've got to remember. You've got to run. You've got to run to the resurrection. It's the place that Jesus walked out. It's the place of hope. When the enemy said, you're defeated, Jesus overcame. It's the place of salvation. It's the place of healing. It's the place of anointing. It's the place of declaration. It's the place of promise. It's the place of mercy. It's the place where you'll be lifted out of your depression. It's the place that only God can do things in your life the way that he can. It's the place that you need to to remember all that God has done in your life. Stop allowing the enemy to take your eyes off of the goodness of God. And I don't care what you're going through. Keep your eyes on who he is and what he's done in your life because it will empower you.